Hello everybody and welcome to this spooky episode of the Cinema Catch-Up Club. I am your host, Dr. Stephen B. Platt. Thank you very much for downloading this scary episode. Why is it scary? Because it's Halloween. Literally, it's the season and indeed the subject of today's review. We're watching 1978's Halloween. And I'm joined once again by someone who has seen the film and someone who has not. Our guest who has not seen the film, it is Katrina Johnston. Hi, Stephen. How are you, Katrina? I'm not too bad. Um, yeah, I, I don't know how I feel about going into this, but yes, we'll, we'll see. Oh, are you yeah. not a fan of the uh, the scary slasher movie? Uh, as we were discussing off... off um, off the mics uh i yeah i don't actively seek it out i have watched scary films before um but yeah i i honestly have no clue how i'm gonna go with this okay what do you know about halloween literally nothing like i'm looking at the cover right now and i'm like okay i'm assuming that there's some sort of uh monster slash person who who uses a pumpkin as a as a mask Mm -hmm. at least judging by the cover um other than that nothing oh although is this one of the films that has just like sort of like final destination has meant that there's tons of sequels oh yes uh yes there are a lot of sequels to Mm -hmm. halloween um so yeah you're coming into it relatively fresh yeah excellent well luckily for you uh, and for me we have someone who has seen this film and it is uh horror aficionado murray jackson mm, hello dr stephen hello murray uh you have seen halloween i have seen halloween many many times mm, which would mm. suggest maybe that uh you quite like it as a film uh yeah it's 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 probably up there in my top 10 uh oh. i had the poster on my bedroom wall as a as a as a, uh, as a teenager oh wow mm. i'm starting to feel like you had a lot of posters up in your bedroom because that's come up a couple of times no mm, this one had a pride of place i think oh. this one was directly over my wall and it's of the uh of uh young uh, michael myers um uh, leaning over uh, a banister with 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 a with a very large knife in his hands oh. um so yeah a cheery thing to go to bed to each night and just to clarify, Michael Myers, not the popular Canadian comedian no, actor. No, that would be an entirely different film, Stephen. Yes, it was. Yeah, I literally, that is the person who popped up into my head and I was like, oh, wow, he had a horror like. Yeah, he just before. he just jumps out, attacks young women, and goes, "Yeah, baby." Yeah, no, it's a different Michael Myers, which uh, you'll see as we get mm. into the film. So, in a vague, non-spoilery sort of way, mm. what can someone who has not seen this film before, like Katrina, expect from Halloween? Um, they can expect one of the really great soundtracks for a start. Oh. So that's sort of that 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 that's going to open the whole thing, and mm. um, it's just a great riff uh, done by the director himself, John Carpenter, mm-hmm. who does a lot of music for his own films. Mm. And this is one of the, I, I it's kind of in the the sort of. Um, John Williams sort of uh, oh. Jaws category in terms of yeah you recognise that that's 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 the signature tune for Halloween. Okay. Um, you can expect a lot of jump scares. Mm. Um, it's just look it's a it's a it's a trashy exploitation flick uh, with an unstoppable monster. Uh, Michael Myers is probably. Uh, in your top four great horror characters in the in the the horror oeuvre, as it were, mm-hmm. so Michael Myers, 
uh, Jason Voorhees, Freddy Krueger, and Pinhead from Hellraiser. So they, they, they're the mighty four. Mm. And and Michael, uh, he was he was the first on the block. Right. Ah, interesting. Excellent. Well, with all that being said, shall we watch Halloween? Mm. Oh, wrong film. <laughs> yes. Uh, for those of you who are listening at home, pop in your DVDs, load up your streaming services, and hide, I guess. <laughs> because uh, he's coming for you. Because we're watching Halloween. back everybody we have just finished watching halloween 1978 and i'm joined once again on this halloween special by katrina johnston hello and uh, mr music himself murray jackson you're a little close to the mic there buddy oh sorry sorry Stephen. sorry <laughs> just, just just having a breath uh, fair enough uh, katrina it was your first time watching halloween what did you think um yeah i had i had fun with it um <laughs> It, like I found it engaging and uh, you know scary at times. Probably not going to go back and watch it again. Okay. But I can see I can see why it appeals to people who are into horror films, and I can see what it started. Mm. Um, so yeah, it was very interesting, very fun. Yeah, this is the first time I've watched it the whole way through. Um, yeah. I've I've seen <coughs> clips and scenes, and like the opening scene we did in, mm. in film studies, um, as as an example of that appearance of a continuous shot. Yeah, um, long tracking shot. But yeah, watching it in its entirety, it's it's quite enjoyable, Murray. Yeah. And um, I, I, I don't know if it's partly because um, it's, it's more than 40 years on now. I wouldn't say that it's super scary. But well, it's... you did make us watch it with the lights on, Steve. <laughs> well, that's because I was going to wet my pants. Uh, no, it's because um, I, I, I like to see my notes when I'm writing them. Um, but I, it was very effective, Mm. Um, I, like like the the jump scares still worked really well. I just thought there might be more of them. Yeah, well, yeah. you've got to remember this is a very early, particularly in terms of American cinema, um, mm. example of the slasher genre, mm. which which was huge in the in the eighties and mm. um, you know exacerbated by you know the fr- endless Friday the Thirteenth films. Um, other films like you know, Mad Men and Don't Go in the Woods Alone and oh god there's so many and, 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 and most of them are bloody awful mm. um, this was uh, a, a landmark film really in terms mm. of um, you know s- setting the um, uh, audience for that genre because um, this film took an awful lot of money um, in its on its release, mm. uh, you know, it's one of the, if not the most successful independent films of all time. Mm. Um, but the, yeah, basically, um, hats off to Carpenter because he yeah. stole um, a lot of really good ideas, um, particularly from Italian cinema, where you know, Jello films had um, had the idea of the the the, the, the madman with a knife um, oh, for, really? for many many years. Yeah. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, in terms of the the number of kills and so on, I don't think it was that important. I think it's the mood that mm. the the music and the um, you know the urgency of the um, 
Yeah, I think the kills are under. I think the kills are under ten. But yeah, I would definitely agree with you. It definitely Mm. creates. Yeah, that music is very important and quite good, Mm. um, and really creates the mood very well. Uh, The movie costs between three hundred and three hundred twenty-five thousand American dollars to make, Mm. and has a current box office of between sixty and seventy million dollars. So. Yeah. did very very well and hence why we've had you know 11 films uh, mm. in, the, in the series and another mm. one that's coming out this month mm. uh, hence why we've gone back to the original um mm. one of the things i wanted to pick up on there was that that mood because i think it does create this really effective um almost Just like hu- kilter yeah and almost like a hunting ground for this mm. michael myers I was surprised how much of this film was shown from Michael's perspective. Not just the initial sequence, which is from his eyes as a six-year-old when he Mm. murders his sister, but... But or his babysitter uh, is it is his sister was babysitting him Judith Judith Myers Um, yeah 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 so it's his older sister that's babysitting Mm. him Um, well he didn't appear to be babysat did he he just appeared to be wandering around in a a, a clown suit um, with with a knife getting it on with uh, Stanley or whatever his name was (laughs) oh god nice yeah he was in and out very quickly in in more ways than one yes Um, but but a lot of this film seems to be from his perspective, we see a lot of Which shots from, from over his shoulder, it, and that's mm. that's the great thing because the moment it's not from his perspective, you're disorientated. Where is he? Where yeah. can he be? Mm. And he can be anywhere. <laughs> and Carpenter does a beautiful thing uh, throughout this film where he has an establishing shot where he's not there, and then there's a a, a pan off. And then he pans back, and there he is. Mm. Um, which is so yeah, you never is, know. Yeah, which is quite a trope now in um, in horror, I think. And it would be interesting to see if he if he was the progenitor of that kind of concept, or if it was or if it predates him. It does predate him. Mm. Um, you'll you'll find that um, directors such as as Dario Argento um, mm. did a lot of that sort of stuff. Uh, as I say, a lot of the Italian directors, Mario oh, yeah. Barber and so on. Uh, did a, did a lot of that um, sort of setting up the suspense and then there's the jump scare and mm. ooh. Um, but in terms of a uh, director taking uh, that well, those concepts and, and bringing it to a wider audience, mm. yeah, you have to put Carpenter right up there. Yeah. Mm. And speaking of Carpenter's uh, contributions, um, the, the soundtrack, mm. um, it, it is the start of the show for me. It's so good, Murray. Yeah. yeah. I, I, as I say, I, I, put, I put it up there with, uh, in terms of horror scores, I put it up there with John Williams' Jaws, um, mm. just in terms of how effectively, uh, it, it, I mean, it, it, that's the Halloween motif, mm. that music. Mm. Yeah. And uh, I can and tell you now, um, having read about this, if you watch the film without the music, it's an entirely different film. Mm. Better or worse? Uh, worse, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, then it's just a lot of shots through a quiet house before yeah, I guess so. somebody jumps out and tries to strangle yeah. you. And a lot of driving around with uh, with, with um, no apparent menace. Yeah. yeah. It does seem as though the late 70s seemed to have a few films that where the soundtrack really is what pulled it through. We're thinking about Star Wars, the original Star Wars from the year before as well. Yeah. As, as strong as that film was, it was arguably elevated to the to the standard of, that it got to because of the incredible musical score mm. yeah. in, in that film. Well, and, and Jaws, mm. um, a couple of years before that. Uh, if you watch Jaws and you don't have the John Williams music, you don't have a movie mm. because you don't see the shark for half the film. You have to have the music to establish the fact that the shark's there. Mm. It's mm. it's it's pretty good. And I, I, I would also say, in terms of 
things which are good about this film. The acting is largely pretty good from our main players. It's yes. really elevated by Donald Pleasance. Mm. Um, as I said to you guys, I said if if you had a bad actor delivering that dialogue, yeah. you've got a pretty dire film. I mean, you know, you, lines like he, you know, he had the blackest eyes, he had the devil's eyes. Yeah, mm. I have tried a number of times just in the car, just as a as a as a, a test of my own abilities as an actor to deliver that without laughing at myself and it can't be done mm. yeah yeah well you know when you when you get blowfeld in your film it, it does help i think mm. that's one of the signs uh, i think that's one of the struggles actually that uh horror films from what i've heard because i am not an aficionado as you are murray um that horror films an issue that horror films have is the script is kind of frequently they have to say these ridiculous things and I think Star Wars also is an example of this. Mm. Uh, so you need to have the right actors to be able to pull that off because um, it's, you know, it's... You're yeah, some you make a good things. point with yeah. Star Wars. So, you know, um, Obi-Wan Kenobi yeah, um, has to be Alec Guinness, doesn't it? Yeah. Otherwise, it's it's yeah, a bit naff. Mm. Um, well, but, even, even Mark Hamill famously, like, threw the script around, like, his friends. Like, this is really funny. Um but then went and did it and did a really good job um, and elevated it through through that. Like those those sort of scripts are always really t- tricky, not because well, be kind of because they're a bit loose and bad. That yeah, if you don't get the right actor for it, you haven't got a film. And it's so nice to get mm-hmm. through a horror film, and a female survives. Yes, uh, it's a little bit of a trailblazer there. I mean, the year after you've got Alien as well. Um, really. Where you know, you've got the, the, the female character Makes it all the way through mm. uh, And in a lot of horror <gasps> films Particularly in the 70s And mm. particularly the Italian horror films Women are just fodder um, yeah. they, you know, they, They're just killed willy-nilly um, But in this um, you know, You've got a I think it's a pretty strong performance from yeah. Jamie Lee Curtis. I mean, she doesn't have to do a lot, I suppose. But uh... well, to be to be honest, I don't. With the exception of um, the Doctor Donald Pleasance, I don't think many of the people have to do much, really. No, um, die. Is yeah, die, thing? and that's about it. And a couple for of get their, their their boobs out. Uh, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I mean, but they, they they're all invested in their characters, and yeah. they're, they're all. I mean, you know, they're all fun characters there's, mm. there's, there's nothing there where you look at the film and you go well that's yeah uh, that, that was a crap performance mm. yeah that's true and um, I, I also think I mean whoever is playing Michael Myers at the time because yeah. multiple actors played Michael Myers throughout this film um, that's I, the handy thing about putting your villain in a mask yeah I, I suppose on a technical level a lot of the time he's just walking <laughs> mm. uh, but but the way that He's, he, but he, he does moves. it in such a mm. um, measured way yeah. that adds to the menace, doesn't it? The mm. fact that this guy doesn't have to be in a hurry. No. He's not chasing people down and stabbing them. Mm. Uh, he can just take his time because he's an ex- inexorable, inexorable force he of nature. He is personification um, of vengeance. Mm, well, he's, he's just... I have no idea what he has Evil on legs. Yeah. Um, but you talk about the actors. One, the, 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 the main actor who played... Uh, he's known as the shape, actually, mm. in, in this in the in the film, mm. um, is Nick Castle, who was a good friend of John Carpenter's, mm. and he he was chosen because he was quite tall and uh, he was cheap, 
Um, Castle actually went on to to be a director himself, so he's he's responsible for um, a favourite film of many young uh, teenage boys of the eighties, The Last Starfighter. Um, oh yeah. Hmm. Okay. So um, yeah, great things grow from from small beginnings, I suppose. Yeah. But uh, I thought, yeah. The, the the one piece of direction that Carpenter actually gave him was when he stabs Bob mm. and he said, just tilt your head like you're looking at your butterfly collection. Mm. And yeah, it almost I was thinking, like, oh, it's almost like a guy, someone admiring their artwork. Mm. Um, which, considering, considering how much effort it is to get a knife entirely through a person to the point where you stick them to a, to a door, I'd be like... I'd kind of be impressed too. Terrified, but impressed. Mm. I, I think we can leave all reality at the at the door mm. as we watch the film. Um, so whether or not you believe the knife can hold someone uh, to that effect, uh, I think we can mm. yeah, take that off the off the table. Mm. I, I'm, I'm just reflecting on this now. <clears throat> I don't think there's much wrong with this film, particularly considering it's a it's an independent production mm. from. The filmed around 1978 and filmed uh, in early 1978 as well, despite mm. its uh, autumnal uh, look. Um, which, uh, from, from researching this, I'm aware that um, all of the leaves they had mm. were just leaves they took and painted brown and then gathered up and used for the next shoot, uh, that kind of thing. It, th- there's really not a lot from this watching where I've gone, oh, yeah, this is a bit shoddy or this is a bit shonky. It's, it's all very well shot. Mm. Yeah. Uh, the only thing, the only issue that really took me out of it was the actual killings. Mm. I didn't, I believed the Michael Myers performance, but I didn't believe the victim's performance for any of them. Mm. I, I was like, if, you know, get into my time machine and go back and be like, hey, John Carpenter, you're a great director. Mm. Your framing's great. Your lighting's great. You sound excellent. Um, but just, you know, get the actors to go work with a physical, like with a movement coach or something, if they existed back then. I think they had like two weeks to shoot this and, yeah, and very yeah. little time and money. So I, I Yeah, that always yeah. happens. But You're just being that, picky. That's, that, no, no, because it, it takes me out of it. Um, so you got to remember though, too, this is, uh, this is a film that's now 43 years old mm. and... There's a lot more invested in films today in terms of you know, making stuff look believable. Mm. Yeah. Oh, it just it yeah it just didn't sell it enough for me. It's not necessarily about it being believable within real world logic, like the whole Katrina. Stab- you saw them. Someone- they were dead. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's just about it, like selling it as a performance. I didn't I didn't believe it as a performance. Mm. Um, that's that's my main thing. Like, it doesn't have to look realistic mm. in, like, oh, yes, that's how a person dies in the real world. Just have to... I didn't believe it as a performance, the deaths. That's mm. all. That's my... Do you, do you still think that's nitpicking? Oh, definitely, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I personally um, felt that the only one I had an issue with was the initial Judith mm. Myers killing. But also, I think it's because it was shot from a first-person perspective, and we don't often see that. Yeah. Um, and so, seeing like her turning around and going, 
Michael. Ah! And then the camera like moving a bit so we can see the knife and then turning back yeah. and she's covered her chest in blood and she collapses. Like I thought it was a well choreographed thing. Yeah, see that that but, I have fine. But her fine performance yeah. in the in the dying did seem a little off, but at Canned. the same time like it's I'm not I wasn't going into it expecting anything that was gonna get an Academy Award. No. Um it could have been better. Yeah. But to be honest, I'm in, I'm really impressed with this film with that sort of being mm. the only real criticisms yeah. that we have. It's 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 very effective. Mm. Um and sc- scary in a different way from yeah. from I think a lot of these slasher films. Like and again going back to uh program we saw recently in this program The Descent, mm. which I would argue is a much scarier film, but it's a different kind of scary. Yeah. Mm. Um this I think I like this film more. Than, yeah, well, um, yeah, I, I think there's there's more to it. There's is more it is it more just it. that there's scare in the in the tension, mm. which is something that I quite enjoy. Yeah, m- most of the time, if I'm if I've just had a really rough day, I'm like I can't handle the tension. <laughs> I just need to leave. Yeah, um, that's when it's not so great. But yeah, that's what I think. Um, a lot of horror films, and maybe what doesn't attract me about horror films, frequently horror films just rely on the gore. Mm. Um, or maybe that's more of a more recent thing, Murray. You can tell me if I'm right or wrong in that. No, oh, no, gore's been yeah. around for, for, you know, 40, 40, 50 years. Yeah, um, but gore is in, that's really what makes it What's selling the scary. product. Well, it, it depends on what... Rather than tension. ...what film you're watching, I suppose. Yeah. There's a lot of recent examples of, of very good horror films that mm. don't invest a huge amount in gore. They're, yeah. they're, they're just good scare flicks. Um, yeah, I think that's what attracts me to. But this is definitely this to, is a haunted house yeah. scare flick, isn't it? And, yeah. And you've got the you know, we use the term of the character. We've you've got the boogeyman, this yeah. unstoppable force, um, which is a frightening concept in itself. Mm. Mm. The plot, which we haven't actually really discussed much, uh, is yeah. is pretty simple. Mm. Um, Michael Myers, as a six-year-old, murders his sister and gets sent away to an insane asylum. Mm. And 15 years later, breaks out uh, the night before Halloween and uh, proceeds to stalk um, young Laurie, played by um, Jamie Lee Curtis, and her friends, and murders a few of them during the night and uh, gets shot by Donald Pleasance but escapes. Mm. Yeah. And, like, it, it, it... It's very straightforward. It is very straightforward. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of twists and turns in, in terms of a story perspective but it, it tells that story very well and mm. like mm. some of the sequences they had like Donald Pleasance and the sheriff searching the Myers home um, and where he does that that speech that uh, you've been trying in the car mm. um, you know it's they're, they're, nothing feels superfluous mm. in the film it all feels um, like it has clear purpose in the building of that tension yeah. like when annie goes to the the laundry house mm. um the little laundry shack down down the back of uh, where their babysitting mm. yeah. you fully expect she's going to get killed I'm, there. i'm yeah. waiting for it yep. i'm just like when this is it it's yeah. gonna happen yeah because yeah. we've just seen the dog uh, lester get killed as well yeah um, and then i know poor dog and then um and then she gets locked in there and then gets stuck in the window she i remember the first time i saw that you know i i <laughs> I, I can't recall my, i think i did actually go and see it um in a re-release at cinema mm. and um just been absolutely on the edge of my seat throughout that entire sequence like oh for god's sake just kill her please yeah 
because you've got all that build up and there he is and there he is and there he is and there he is and it's going to happen it's gonna, oh god it's never going to happen mm. um mm. and yeah and then of course yeah it it, it happens in the car mm. and not the laundry mm. um but yeah this is a it, it's a film that's i mean the, the plot's economical yeah. and the, Which is the, probably the, the good. beauty of this film is actually in the filmmaking. Yeah. Um, the, the, the cinematography, Dean Cundy, who was John Carpenter's cinematographer on a number of his films, mm. um, most notably Escape from New York. Um, but he's gone on to, oh, and, and a thing, uh, he's gone on to do a huge number of films over the years. Mm. Fantastic cinematographer. And you, you know, the use of light. In this film, um, given it's you know fairly dark mm. for for a fair portion of the uh, the you know second and third act, um, is is outstanding, and just as I say, the use of the the, the shots that Carpenter had this whole thing planned out before he went into production. Yeah, mm. and it shows. It really, really shows that it's yeah. it's been very clearly thought through, um, and. I'm just I'm a little bit blown away by it to be honest given the mm. the resources that they had and and things of that nature. I also really like the fact um that they had just a tribute to the thing from another world in the middle there when mm. they yeah. just show the opening credits of the the movie that Carpenter would go on to remake. Mm. Um and well, then he's, yeah because yeah. he was such a huge fan of Howard Hawks. Mm. There's no way he was going to make the film without that being in there. Yeah. yeah. And then a little bit of Forbidden Planet snuck in there too which was mm. nice. Mm. Uh, and to be honest, I'm going to say even the kids Yeah, they were pretty were, good. were pretty good as performers as well. You didn't really suffer from the bad kid acting that happens sometimes in in films i thought the kid that played tommy was great um very believable as a kid that's worried about the boogeyman having and not being believed and yeah and you know being bullied at school by three other kids with identical bowl cuts yeah it was um yeah uh, very very funny seeing that but then you know him and uh, the other child who's Lindsay. that's it yeah they're they um yeah, they were great. And like, I just love that it's like, you can't kill the boogeyman. Oh, look, he's behind you. <laughs> <laughs> was was great. Um, yeah, no, it's just it's just a really solid um, film filled with a couple of great performances mm. from Donald Pleasance and Jamie Lee Curtis and a pretty terrifying and effective villain. Mm. Yeah. And I would ask Murray, as someone who has seen um, more Chris. of the Halloween films, is this the high point of the series or are there others that come later which match this um i'm i'm, I'm a big fan of the sequel halloween 2 which which takes place moments after this has finished so mm. um literally starts with you know oh god he's gone uh, yeah. and and goes from there um so i really like number two uh halloween 3 was a completely different film there's no michael myers um because the intent was look We've you know we've got the name Halloween here. We can make a a different film with each you know each film. It doesn't like have a, to all be about Michael Myers. It's more like an anthology series of these. Different yeah, characters. exactly. So, so almost like turning Halloween into um, a Twilight Zone. Yeah, almost some, something along those lines. But um, yeah, the, Halloween three didn't do particularly well. It's it's had a bit of a critical reappraisal over the years but mm. they learned from that pretty quickly the audience wants to see more of michael myers mm. um four is 
uh, okay. Five is not crash hot at all. Mm-hmm. Um, then you get into the late 90s sequels. Um, Carpenter, I think, came back and did the treatment for one of those, and I can't remember if it was Halloween H2O, which from memory wasn't too bad. Halloween H2O. Or whether it was Halloween Resurrection. Mm. And then you had Rob Zombie, who most famously did um, uh, House of a Thousand Corpses mm. and, um, oh, shucks, the name of his other f- major film. House of Wax? No, no, no. It's, it goes out of my head. doesn't matter. Anyway, he remade mm. or reimagined Halloween. So he made a Halloween 1 and 2, mm. um, which focused a lot more on how young Michael Myers was brought up. And, oh. yeah, the fans had a sort of an interesting reaction to that. The last film they did, mm. which picks up Laurie's story as a mum in her 60s, oh. um, was really interesting and, and, and really quite cool. And that was, that was Halloween Kills? Was Hall- uh, it was just called, I think it was just called Halloween, wasn't it? Um, Halloween 2018. Oh, sorry, yes, no, because Halloween Kills is the one that's coming out. That's the one that's coming out, That's what it is, yes. Um, And that was really interesting. It just had one particular part in it that I I just didn't like at all. Um, So out of 11 films, I would say there's three or four that are, uh, uh, yeah, reasonable films. Um, Halloween itself, the, the, the original, is the best of the lot. It won't be topped. It mm. can't be topped. Everything vibing on Halloween, including mm. the character of Michael Myers, will just be a recycling of yeah. this film. Mm. Uh, Halloween H2O, Katrina, because you were oh, somewhat incredulous about that one, isn't mm. about water, as I understand. No, it. Halloween uh, 20 it's years Halloween later. It's Halloween 20, oh, so it's okay. H20, uh, but it is referred oh, to as H2O. Um, oh, man. Uh, did have uh, Jamie Lee Curtis oh. in it. Uh, this was the seventh film uh, in the in the franchise. Um, it just makes me think that there's going to be mermaids in it. makes me think of that Australian TV show, H2O, Just Add Water. Yeah. <laughs> no, an entirely different thing. <laughs> yeah, this was uh, released in 1998. It had um, a good cast. It did. Oh, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, Adam Arkin, Michelle Williams, mm. uh, Janet Leigh, LL Cool J, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Oh, so yeah, yeah. Uh, the tagline for that one is "This summer, terror won't be taking a vacation." Ooh, so mm. yes, okay. It's, um, it's it's good to know. Cause I it's... can wonder one of the biggest issues that that I think a lot of people have with the series mm. is the original Halloween mask, the, the mask worn in this. Yeah. As the series rolled on, I think they got lazier, and the mm. mask didn't look as terrifying. Okay. Um. So, yeah, there was like in four and five, you go, oh, I'm just not buying it. The mask looks cheap. See, I didn't, I didn't find it terrifying because the mask looked cheap or didn't. I found it terrifying because y- you can't really see his eyes because of the mask. Mm. And more that whole, that what we were talking about before, you see an establishing shot and then they redo that shot and there he is. It's that, that kind of movement that I think sells it more than the, than the mask. Um, and just more the, just the very blank, ominous presence. Mm. Uh, I think what that's what really sells it. It's it's a uh, really which good. Is, which um, is difficult sometimes to continue that um, that idea throughout films. Like I think it takes 
But it's, it's a really good point urgent. you make in that mm. the stillness of the character yeah. is what sells the menace. Yeah. It's like this guy does not have to be in a hurry. No, he doesn't. He'll just yeah. catch up with you when he wants. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, no, it's 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 pretty effective. Mm. Um, and, you know, the fact they've been able to get 11, soon to be 12 as well with yeah. um, the Halloween film that comes out next year. Um, Halloween ends. Mm. Uh, Will it really? Oh, at some point it should, probably, I'm imagining, (laughs) but uh, we shall see. Uh, Would you guys like some trivia about Halloween from 1978? I'll try and find something I don't know, Stephen. Yeah, it'd be very interesting. Let's have a look then. All of this trivia was sourced from IMDb, (laughs) so if it's not true, I don't blame me. (laughs) The original script was titled The Babysitter Murders. Mm. Uh, It also had the events taking place over the space of several days. Uh, It was a budgetary decision to change the script to have everything happen on the same day. Uh, Doing this reduced the number of costume changes and locations required. Makes sense. And it was decided that Halloween, the scariest night of the year, was the perfect night for this to happen. So it was changed Mm. to halloween i mean that makes that makes sense and it keeps it nice and tight the the timing of the whole thing Mm. and yeah i don't think the babysitter murders would have been as strong a title no but i mean there is a title that someone can use but i feel like there's probably a serial killer called the babysitter babysitter killer or something like that must be yeah there's probably someone Mm. out there uh john carpenter considered the hiring of jamie lee curtis as the ultimate tribute to alfred hitchcock who had given her mother janet lee legendary status in Mm. psycho during the same period universal studio producers and director richard franklin uh were trying to enroll jamie lee into a new production of psycho 2 oh wow so yeah everyone was after uh Janet Lee's daughter at this time. Which I'm guessing that role went to Meg Tilly um, in Psycho 2. Mm. Uh, John Carpenter and Deborah Hill have stated many times over the years that they did not consciously set out to depict virginity as a way of defeating a rampant killer. Yeah. Um, as the writer of this, of this film, uh, Carpenter and Hill said the reason that the horny teens all die is simply that they were preoccupied. Um, so they Makes didn't sense. notice there was a killer at large. On the other hand, Laurie spends a lot of the time on her own and is more alert. Makes sense. And also, that does the... <laughs> Uh, that concept which I alluded to right at the beginning when we were watching Mm. of oh he's he's just killing women who have um, had sex Mm. Um, well this is this is something that was picked up by Friday the 13th yeah but it's but as as, have sex you die yeah as I was watching it I was like oh no it doesn't really prove that because he attacks Laurie as well Mm. and and I was sitting there going oh well how's he gonna know that she has or hasn't had sex. Like, he's only killed people who who mm. are in the middle of the act or have just finished. He kills so. the dog as well. Yeah. Uh, and the truck driver. Well, how do we know the dog oh, didn't yeah, have sex, Stephen? Well, that's true. But I'm presuming that mm. the truck driver... Unless the truck driver was, like, jacking off as he well, was driving. Well, why do you think he had pulled over? <laughs> just, um, just, just coming back to something. Mm. Janet Lee. Janet Lee actually ended up in one of the Halloween films. Oh, did she? Mm. Yeah, I think. Didn't you say it in? H- oh, I H- think H- I did actually. Yeah. Did you? Yeah. yeah, I think I'm. Yeah, she was one of the names I read. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Mm. There we go. Ah, well, there, there you go. The mm. ultimate psycho tribute was yeah. Halloween H two O just add water. And it's interesting. You can definitely see little beats in this that the nineties <clears throat> uh, horror films like Scream and that have gone. Oh, that's a good idea. We'll use that. Like just the. The phone calls and things like that, and maybe again, they w- this film wasn't the progenitor of that, but it's it's interesting, 
it'd be interesting to see track its influence mm. in the later. In well, you, later you'll films. find a lot of the influences, as I say, came out of European cinema, mm. particularly the Italians. Um, I mean, they'd been. No, I mean the influences that Halloween has had on later films. Oh, on later films, yeah, yeah mm. absolutely. In the documentary short Halloween Unmasked 2000, it was revealed that the crew got to choose between two masks for Michael Myers to wear in this film. Mm. The first was a Don Post Emmett Kelly smiling clown mask that they put frizzy hair on. Uh, This was an homage to how he killed his sister in a clown costume at the start of the film. Um, They tested it out and it appeared very demented and creepy. The other mask is the one that is seen in this film, which is a 1975 Captain James T. Kirk mask that was purchased for around a dollar. (laughs) It had the eyebrows and sideburns ripped off, the face was painted uh, fish belly white, and the hair was spray painted brown, and the eyes were opened up a bit more. They tested out the Kirk mask and the crew felt it was much more creepy because it was emotionless and thus became the Michael Myers mask. Yeah. Uh, funnily enough, uh, William Shatner, not not too happy about his likeness being used in this way. Um, not surprised. Yeah, and also... It's very hard to see William Shatner in it, though. Yeah, I if, yeah. You, hadn't, if you hadn't told me that, I would have just been like, oh, yeah, it's maybe, maybe a, a politician mask or something. Was, although I guess they weren't entirely a thing in the 70s. Yeah, like the rubbery Nixon mask. Mm, yeah. That would have been an entirely different film. Mm. <laughs> I also you did that... want to make it a political thriller. <laughs> No, I didn't want to make it one. I just like... Ladies and gentlemen, Katrina Johnson (laughs) stated the glorious opening chords of the Halloween score. Oh, this sounds like it's a political thriller. It does, because it... it... And has ruined it for me forever. You're only angry because she's right. (laughs) No. (laughs) This is what fresh perspectives bring us. Um, but it was interesting that I kind of lost that feeling as soon as the film, like I only felt that really over the credits, mm. over the beginning, beginning credits. As soon as you get into it, you like you, it the images marry with the with the soundtrack quite well to make that tension. Mm. Um, so I kind of lost that vibe. Yeah, as it went. I'm I'm glad you did because as she's screaming at the door and he's approaching her from behind, <laughs> I'm picturing him going, "I just want to talk to you about fiscal responsibility." <laughs> Um, there are a couple of other options to play uh, Donald Pleasance, or at least other actors mm. that they uh, considered. Um, the, What's the bet? I will not know any of their names. No, you will. You You'll will. Know a couple. Oh. Uh, particularly uh, Peter Cushing, who played Grand Moff Tarkin. Oh, yeah. Uh, mm. And Christopher Lee were both approached to play um, Dr. Sam Loomis. Yep. Uh, yep. They both turned it down due to the low pay that was on offer. Fair enough. Um, Christopher Lee later said it was the biggest mistake he made in his career. Yeah, I could imagine this would be right up his alley. Just him stalking through... The only person scarier than Michael Myers, just stalking <laughs> through the streets. Just being like... Imagine him trying to do the speech now, the uh, the, the mm. dark eyes of the devil. It, yes, he... He had the blackest eyes, mm. the devil's eyes. I feel like it would have not worked as well. I feel like you need a little bit of warmth You need You need a bit more... This is going to sound odd, but a bit more hominess. Mm. I feel like, yeah, Christopher Lee. Well, the, the thing. Or maybe the perception of Christopher Lee. I think Christopher Lee would is, have done fine. Yeah. It's just that Donald Pleasance, he, mm. he he does it in such a truthful way that you yeah. buy it. You go, oh, oh God, he's, he's, he's awful, isn't he? Mm. In a way, maybe Christopher Lee would have added too much Shakespeare like energy to yeah. it would have been too grand yeah 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 i guess yeah that's what i'm what i'm getting at 
Uh, some of the other actors that were considered, uh, just a simple yes, no, if you mm. think they would have done a good job. Um, Peter O'Toole. Yeah. If he'd stayed sober. Yep. Um, Mel Brooks. <laughs> well, that's the wow. thing. Sometimes, sometimes... I did not know that. Comedic go. actors can do... Mm can do drama and thriller and comedy really well. Like my, my, no, my example, Robin Williams, mm-hmm. Snapshot. Mm. Yeah. That, that is an excellent film. Or Robin Williams, Insomnia. Yeah. Um, mm. But but the thing is, is I don't know if yeah. Mel Brooks could have done it. Yeah. Tell me the one line he could have done is the Lonnie line. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Mm. Oh, whispering at the... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's where I went as well and was like, that bit, he would have been okay. The yeah. rest, yeah. not sure I would have believed him. Uh, Walter Matthau. Don't know who that is. Um, no, I can't. I can't see that. Okay. And Walter would have done it for that fee. No, true. Mm. Um, Kirk Douglas. Once again, I very much doubt you would have got Kirk out of bed on a on a cold morning to uh, yeah. to do it. Uh, Abe Vigoda. Oh God, Fish from from uh, Taxi. Mm. Uh, not Taxi. Um, Taxi. Abe, uh, Abe, Abe was in... Well, he was also in The Godfather. He was in The Godfather. Yeah. But he's best known for um, a sitcom. Mm. Uh, Chris Christopherson. Um, no, Chris Christopherson would be too young. Mm. And the final one I've got here is Yul Brynner. Oh. oh. Well, uh, mm. Yeah, I think he could have done um, that. Mm. No. Okay. One yes, one no. Sorry, Yul. Well, I, I, to be fair, I haven't seen him in much. I literally have... Oh, I've seen it, I think, in two films. Mm. One's The King and I, or Anna and the King, whichever one, whatever way it's called. And the other one is Westworld. Mm. Yeah. I, I think he could have done it. I think Donald Pleasance ended up being, like, the right person. Mm. I, I think you needed an actor who had no ego and was just prepared mm. to, um, you know, go, I, I'm just doing a piece of... Trashy exploitation for the money, which but also Donald Pleasant had no problem doing. But also mm. sell it with, uh, as you said, some truth. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And fun fact: Donald Pleasance was not necessarily on board with doing this film when it was first oh. offered to him. Um, John Carpenter uh, stated, obviously, he was thrilled when Donald Pleasance accepted because mm. he was a huge fan of him. Mm. Pleasance was easily the oldest and most experienced person on the production. Um, and Carpenter admitted he was very intimidated when they first met him. <laughs> uh, Pleasance introduced himself and started their relationship by saying, I don't know why I'm in this movie, and I don't know who my character is. The only reason I'm doing this movie is because I have alimony to pay, and my daughter in England is in a rock and roll group, and she said the music you did for Assault on Precinct 13 is cool, end quote. <laughs> so, yeah, Donald Pleasance only chose to be in this film because his daughter was like, no, no, the director did a really good soundtrack. And so he was like... Fine. <laughs> but it started a beautiful relationship because they did a number mm. of films together. Oh, did they? Yeah. Oh, that's nice. And yeah, they, they ended up becoming quite good friends as well, um, even though Pleasance asked Carpenter difficult questions about his character that Carpenter wasn't ready for as, as yeah. a young, independent director. <laughs> um, and yes, as you say, he appeared in, in a number of other films. Mm. Um, so yeah, so I, I was just really like that story, though, of just, yeah. my daughter thinks you're cool, so I'm here. <laughs> Give me yeah, money, Yeah, that's just like... Um... Is that guy who played Dumbledore? Uh, Richard think, Harris? Or I think actually both of them. Michael Gambon. I think, no, yeah. I think it might have been both of them. Mm. They had a, a child or a grandchild who was like, You've been offered to play someone in Harry Potter. You need to go mm. do it. Yeah, I think yeah. Robbie Coltrane was a similar one as well. Yeah. Where, yeah, it was either a child or a, another young relative was like, yeah. No, you have to play the part. Yeah. 
Um, PJ Souls went to a screening of the movie after it was released, uh, sitting in the fourth row of a regular audience. Now, she played Linda. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, she, <laughs> she was very amused when, during her nude scene and the line of, see anything you like, a male audience member in the front shouted, hell yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Unaware that she was in the audience and that she was in the audience with her partner at the time, Dennis Quaid. <laughs> mm. Oh, wow. <laughs> Who was also offered a part in this film. Yes. Uh, he oh. was He was potentially going to be the boyfriend, but the, oh, yeah, yeah. the schedules didn't didn't line up so it could have been quaid hanging from the wall mm. uh, as bob which would have been interesting uh quaid was a, obviously a bit affronted and wanted to confront the man uh, but um pj uh was amused and said no don't don't bother <laughs> but yeah oh, always be careful with anything you say aloud in the cinema yeah, yeah. you never know danny <laughs> d quaid might be behind you That's it. smack you in the back of the head um, Will Sandin, young Michael Myers, grew up to become a police officer in Los Angeles. Oh, wow. Uh, he had no interest in being uh, an actor full-time, but yeah, he became a, a cop. Fair enough. Which, uh, yeah, I'm, sure, I'm sure none of his fellow officers would have ever mentioned that no. to him at any point. <laughs> or ribbed him mercilessly for it. No, uh, never have happened. <laughs> actress and playboy model Sandy Johnson, who played Judith Myers, said in a rare interview in 2018 that the only thing she didn't like about making the movie was that the fake blood stained her skin. Um, since she was topless during the scene where Michael kills her, the blood was applied over her bare chest and stomach and had to be scrubbed off between takes. Uh, she remembered that whoever was doing the cleaning of her was doing it a bit too rough. So Jamie Lee Curtis actually offered to come in and clean it off her and was much gentler, apparently. Aww. So well done, Jamie Lee Curtis, for like yeah. not hurting someone while you clean them. Yeah. Hmm. That, I'm surprised she had someone to help her clean her. Like, fair enough, maybe someone to hand her things, hmm. but... Well, because it was staining, maybe yeah. she was like, I need help, can someone come and do it? Maybe. And the first I person, know. I don't know, was... Like, maybe know, a PA a, or, or something. a woodworker just like yeah I'm used to sanding things <laughs> <laughs> she's like no it hurts the skin is very soft here yeah <laughs> the goggles yeah. they do well, nothing even, even if you're like scrubbing with like say a nail brush because mm. I've been I once stained for Halloween costume mm-hmm. I, I went as the Wicked Witch of the West mm. so I decided because I'm a cheap ass to use uh, green food dye to get the green okay uh and yeah, food dye is really hard to get off. Mm. Um, and then Jamie Lee Curtis turned up and offered to help. Yeah, yeah it was really strange. It was like, <laughs> what are you doing in my neighborhood, lady? She was like, I sense somebody had coloring on them somewhere. That- but not the face, just the chest. I'm only doing the chest. <laughs> no, thankfully, I, I dressed myself in, a, in such a way to make sure that I didn't have to cover too much. Okay. But, you know, I, I did my neck, for mm. example, mm. and that's quite, you know, sensitive skin and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. So not fun. So there's a lesson, kids. Don't cheap out on, on body paint or, mm. or fake blood. Well, more you've just got to make sure you prepare the skin properly. So you need to put like Vaseline or something mm. on it. Yeah. Um, make up tips shiny. with Katrina Johnson. Mm-hmm. Mm. When Dr. Loomis spots the station wagon, he is in front of the Myers house on Meridian Street in mm. South Pasadena. Mm. When the camera cuts to him running down supposedly the same street, he is now actually on Genesee Street in West Hollywood, 16 miles away. Also just down the street from where the car is on 1356 Genesee is Nancy's home from A Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, wow. It's on the same street. It's oh. at House 1428. Wouldn't there want to live go. in that town. No. <laughs> You'd be like, why does everyone keep filming things with murderers here? What's the vibe we're giving out? 
And finally, originally, the script had Dr. Loomis having a surprised reaction to the disappearance of Michael Myers' body from the lawn at the film's ending. Donald Pleasant suggested his character's reaction should be instead a, quote, I knew this would happen, end quote, look mm. on his face. Uh, they shot both ways and ended up using Pleasance's idea in the Interesting. film. Interesting. Mm. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Because mm. it gives, uh, I think it leaves it a bit more, in in one way leaves it a bit more open-ended because then you can kind of investigate why does he know that it was going to happen like this mm. or why is he not surprised and um, adds another avenue of storytelling. Opens it to another 10 or so. Yes. <laughs> if we can get the cash together. Does it, does it, does the other films investigate that? About What's that? Why, why he wouldn't have been surprised that he's run away? Oh, the, I th- that he I survived think the it, being shot? It really just vibes on the fact that Loomis um, believes that Michael is this you know, force of nature, that he is oh, okay. just pure evil mm-hmm. uh, personified. So, yeah, um, yeah it, it just really comes back to that. You see that sometimes in people. I've experienced that with... Um, not not to like the Halloween level, but you see that I've experienced that as a as a teacher, seeing meeting coming across kids going, oh cool, you're gonna be a murderer one day, cool. Yeah, and there are great some... labelling there, Katrina. No, but there are some. They people... could just become politicians. <laughs> there are some people that you meet where you're like, okay, you're obviously just in a bad situation. You're you, you're getting caught up with the wrong people and mm. that's why you're doing all these wrong things. And then you meet other kids um, where you're like, no, there's just... I could just imagine Katrina something. going home to Scott and going, <laughs> he had the blackest eyes, <laughs> the devil's eyes. Yeah. Never quite that extreme, but you're definitely like, yep, you're, you're uh, headed for a lifetime of jail. Mm. I taught him for seven years and spent the next eight trying to keep him locked up. Mm. Uh, Katrina, they're very much teaching us to judge books by their cards. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was never just off off the cuff. It was always after you've had some After interaction. an interaction and you're like, yeah. oh God, what yeah. is this? Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm glad you don't work at that kindergarten anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, it was where they filmed The Sixth Sense and, um, oh, what's the other one? The Omen. It, oh, yeah. it was a very strange kindergarten. <laughs> yeah, all the creepy children. Uh, so... All that remains for us to do is to score this film. And mm. Katrina, you get to go first because it was your first time watching Halloween. What would you give it out of 10? Um, it's a bit of a tricky one because as, I, as I've stated before, um, it's not it's not my type of film that I really go for. But I do acknowledge that it's that it is it's filmed very well. The sound is really good and I think it's directed very well. She knows this is going to insult me, Stephen. <laughs> no, but I do have an issue with some of the performances. I found that mm. it, I found they were a bit cheesy. Mm. Um, I think I agree with you guys that uh, Donald Pleasance and Jamie Lee Curtis were very good and that the, the main villain was very good. Um, but yeah, I did find the surrounding cast a bit cheesy. So like keeping that all in mind, which I just realised is a phrase that I say almost every single time that mm-hmm. I score something on this podcast. Mm-hmm. And now that I've noticed, it infuriates me. It's what the audience love. They, <laughs> they keep coming back for more. Everyone's got their catchphrases. Um, yeah, but all of that, I'm giving it uh, six and a half uh, naked babysitters. All right. What about yourself, Murray? Uh, Stephen, um, I'm totally biased when it comes to this film it's it's a seminal film for me it's one i grew up with i've seen it an uh, infinite number of times i enjoy it every mm. time um i 
even enjoy a lot of the sequels. Uh, as you know, horror is my genre. I just mm. I just love horror films, and this is one of one of the standout American horror films of the seventies. So I put this right up there with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, um, and uh, you know, other films such as Last House on the Left has, has been examples of, of mm. uh, American horror cinema that, that are just landmarks. Um, I, I can't give it anything less than a full um, 10 squashed pumpkins. Mm. I mean, they were yeah. squashed. Mm. And considering they were shooting in March, uh, I'm impressed with the size of that pumpkin that kid had because yeah. mm. um, that's not an easy thing to source at that time <laughs> of year. Um, for me, I I enjoyed this a lot more than I thought I was going to. Um, and I'm I'm really impressed with how well put together it is. I, I do think there are some things that I have reservations about. I think I'm, I'm in a similar boat in terms of the performances with, mm. with um, Katrina. But um, but I'm just really impressed with how well put together this, this film is. And considering the resources that they had available to them, um, mm. this, this could have been so much worse. Uh, but they they clearly put in a lot of a lot of time. I mean, with faint pra- faint praise there. <laughs> no, but okay, it could have been so much worse. I'm also really impressed with how good it is. Um, so I'm I'm going to give it eight out of ten um, because it's the worst rendition of the Halloween theme I've ever heard. Stephen. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not oh, even just... sure. You, I'm not even sure you got the timing right. Just just uh, wait yeah. for me to try and do it. <laughs> yeah. Look, I don't have a keyboard handy, and also I can't play the keyboard, mm. so I could always just edit in the actual theme tune. Though. Uh, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. the way to go. So I'll give it eight out of ten. That was that was great, Stephen. Yeah, that sounded that was... just like the soundtrack. That was amazing. How did you manage that? <laughs> <laughs> I have my talents. Uh, well, that brings us to the end of this spooky episode of the podcast. Katrina and Murray, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the Cinema Catch Up Club. Thank you very much. It was my pleasure. And for those of you listening at home, thank you for joining us this week we are available to be found on facebook just search for the cinema catch-up club there you'll get news and updates every week if you want our weekly episodes that's right once a week for the rest of time uh, oh, wow that's a lot of that's a lot of movies yeah look, or at least until i need a holiday uh, yeah. but we've got four and a half years in and i've not done that yet so we'll see how we go but uh, a new episode comes out Every week, uh, you can uh, subscribe to iTunes, Spotify, or SoundCloud to have them turn up on your doorstep. Um, if you have a doorstep in your phone, I just realized <laughs> uh, the internet doesn't really have doorsteps. That's beside the point. You can get a new episode each and every week. And we also have our Patreon for bonus goodies and features. Just search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club on Patreon or go to the web address patreon.com forward slash podcast. But that's all for this week. So until next time... Goodbye. What's that thing in the corner? It's like that, Stephen. No. Oh, God. Why do I bother? You have been listening to a Thought Jar Productions podcast. For more information, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com.